Hello, and welcome to I Am Not Overreacting. I'm your host, Emily Pastrana. I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist, birth doula, and yoga instructor, and I'm here to talk about the stuff that nobody else wants to. From sex, painful periods, pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond, we will cover it all and nothing is off limits. We've come to a point where we have normalized complications with our body instead of normalizing getting help for the complications. I want to help change that. No matter what you're going through, you are not alone and you always have a seat at my table. Now let's get this party started. Before we begin, I want to remind listeners that I'm Not Overreacting is a podcast designed to encourage thought and spark the empowerment to have the tougher or less comfortable conversations. The information in this podcast is never intended to treat, cure, or fix any specific problem, condition, or diagnosis. Always consult with your provider or birth team before trying a new exercise or treatment method. Thank you and enjoy. Stop talking about your period. Really? Another photo of her stomach? Childbirth makes me uncomfortable. Have a glass of wine. Relax. Wait till you have a baby. You're hardly showing. Are those twins in there? You're huge. Make it stop. And I'm not overreacting. Okay, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so excited. I wonder if I'm ever not so excited when I start a talk (laughs) with my colleagues because they're all so amazing. But today I have Taylor Walters here with me from Taylor Taylor Walters Sleep Consulting. And guys, first and foremost, I am now 28 years old and Taylor has sleep trained me. So I fell in love with her right away because I've been sleeping poorly my entire life. And she helped me. And so if she can help me, I promise she can help you. So I believe in what she does. I love what she does. I'm so happy to know her. I'm always recommending her. Taylor, welcome, welcome. And thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to share everything I can about sleep. Yay. So first and foremost, Taylor, tell us what is a sleep consultant? What do you do? How are you trained? Tell us about you. Yeah, sure. So as a sleep consultant, what I primarily do is I work with parents who have been struggling with sleep for a long time. Um, And what that basically means is their child either is waking up constantly through the night, they are just outright refusing naps, they're always cranky. I work with babies who parents complain of colic. And my goal as a sleep consultant is to work with those parents to teach their child the skill of sleep. Most people don't think of sleep as a skill. They don't think of it as walking or crawling or talking, but it is. It's definitely something that we have to learn how to do because our body has the chemistry to do it. But with babies, you know, when they're born, they're learning how to eat. They're learning how to breathe. They're learning how to poop. So they have to learn how to sleep. So what I basically do is I learn more about the family when I work with them. I get the whole picture of what inside their house looks like. You know, what does their schedule look like? What's their routine? Are they breastfeeding? Are they bottle feeding? Do they have daycare? And then I craft a sleep plan that fits that family. Um, You can Google sleep and you can find a hundred baby books on sleep. Right. But the thing about those is that they're cookie cutter and your child may not fit into them. And I've, I've worked with a lot of frustrated moms who are like, I have tried everything and I kind of almost think this won't work too, because I, I just can't find something that works for my child. Um, so as a sleep consultant, that's what we do. We, we create these plans. And then the best thing about a sleep consultant is they become your sleep BFF. So you get somebody who works with you one-on-one through the whole process. You don't have to do it alone. You don't have to try to put in the guesswork to figure out why didn't that nap go well or 
why is she screaming so hard? Um, all of these different things that happen during sleep training, you don't have to guess if you're doing it right or if you're doing it wrong. I have all the answers with, with my you know training. Now, leading into the training, what does that look like? So um, I was trained as a sleep sense consultant. I trained under Dana Obelman herself, um, went to Florida, did an extensive training hands-on with her. And after you do that training with her, you're actually mentored by her until you complete so many sleep sleep trainings. Oh, okay. Um, so once you work with so many clients, you send in your sleep plans, your questionnaires, you send it all into her. She confirms that you did it well. And then she actually interviews the client to see how they're, how it, how it was. You're well supervised uh, and you're not just, you're not just doing a training and then winging it, which is really important. I think for people to know about you, you're well-trained and well-supervised. And one thing I see so frequently is that there are a lot of people out there calling themselves sleep consultants with no education. Right. And um, that's a scary thing. Uh, I actually just re- just saw a post the other day from a, from a friend um, that said, before you hire a sleep consultant, you know, here's a checklist of things you should make sure you know. Do they have a certification? Have they been trained? Is their protocol evidence-based? You know, as the things they're teaching you to do, science and evidence-based, you know, it could be really expensive to hire somebody who's a phony, who, who doesn't really know what they're doing and is going to put your child in danger. So definitely, if you're thinking about working with a sleep consultant, you should make sure they have their certification and credentials. That's so um, important, especially because we are in a very um, consumer-based world right now. There's a lot of things being sold and marketed to us, and you and I can go off on marketing and consumerism for hours in general about products and stuff, but we have definitely slid into a culture of if it worked for somebody else, it'll work for me. And that's how people with sometimes less training can build a really big brand because so-and-so used her and it was fine. And then so-and-so used her and it was fine. And other people being quote unquote fine is making you believe in somebody without training, which is dangerous, but we see it a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I also love what you said. Um, I struggle with this a lot too when I'm working with clients well I read the book well I have this list of things and I'm doing it that is so great and it's probably awesome when people have a little bit more of background knowledge when you go to work with them they understand what you're saying more but one size never fits all especially not with babies and especially not with parenting right right Yeah, I mean, you can find a lot of, you know, the things I'm going to teach my clients on my Instagram page, on my blog, you're going to find it all there. I don't, I don't keep anything to myself, but trying to piecemeal it all together and understand what things are applied to your child and what things don't, don't fit your child. It's a little bit more of, of, of a process than that. It is. And I, I struggle with this too, with information I share and you, you and I are, are kind of in the same boat where you might there might be a product you really love that you post about and somebody might think, well, I'm doing what Taylor posted about and I still have trouble because Taylor wasn't posting about your kid. She was posting about a lot of kids, but yeah. it's personalized care is so important in general when we're dealing with our families and our children. So I'm so glad we started off with that point. Thank you. Absolutely. Now I'm going to slide us right in. We're going to start off kind of hot because I tell you this, I am feel like I'm a lot of times going to bat for sleep consulting and sleep training. And it's not because I think everybody needs to do it. 
Taylor and I are not here to push anything onto you. If you're comfortable with your situation at home, if baby's not sleeping through the night and that's working for you, that's fine. We don't care. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's it's not working for everybody. And there are so many misconceptions about what it means to hire a sleep consultant and sleep train that the reasons I hear for people not believing in it are typically inaccurate. Choosing to not do it is fine. I don't care if, if anybody does it or not. I care if they're spreading false information about what it is that you do. So Taylor, what is the biggest misconception about what you do as a sleep consultant? Absolutely. So I have a um, post coming up in a couple of weeks about this, actually, because cool. it's something that I just keep seeing and it's like, ah, this really bothers me. Mm-hmm. So um, anytime a sleep consultant suggests that sleep training is not harmful to a baby, we obviously get a bunch of people objecting that sleep trained babies continue to experience elevated cortisol and stress levels and significant distress. I can. Um, There's a study that I'm going to interrupt you guys and share the study that I found on my own research without even asking Taylor, because I know she knows, but it was readily available for me too, as a consumer for end goal. And I shared this on my story one day, the end behavioral and emotional habits of children from a pretty well-conducted study shown that whether you are sleep training or not, you are having the same emotional behavior and not the end game, but once they're, the child's more developed, it is not making a difference in the child's emotional health. It's not from what we know. Exactly. Ah, so, go ahead. Sorry. So, so the problem I have is that, you know, people will say that sleep training teaches babies that crying doesn't help. You know, you're asking them to cry and now they're going to learn that they just have to give up and they have to give in to just falling asleep on their own. And that's a heartbreaking thought. No mother wants to hear that. Um, It's definitely going to strike fear in, in, in parents. Absolutely. However, what we need to realize is this claim comes from a single, small, and deeply flawed study. Yes. 25 babies led by Wendy Middlemiss. 25 sample size. Ah! Right. There's so many problems with it. Um, And basically what what the study describes is that, you know, researchers found high levels of cortisol. After seven days, the babies learned to go to sleep without crying. But what what they found was baby's stress levels remain the same, but mom's didn't because mom didn't have to hear baby cry. Right. Okay. But there's so much wrong with this yes. because yes, 25 people. Are you kidding me? Second of 25. all, these babies were in the hospital. They weren't even in an environment that they were comfortable with. They had people poking and prodding all over them that they didn't even know. They weren't with mom. Right. Um, so warning women against sleep training on the basis of this study is absurd. It, it, should be redone. It should be extensively studied. Um, And this is a claim that it just circles around the sleep consulting industry. You know, people are constantly bashing sleep consultants on this one claim, on this one study of 25 babies. Yes. And it's, it's totally inaccurate. You know, your attachment to your child is not affected based on the fact that you chose to teach them the skill of sleep. Correct. It isn't. It's not. And Taylor hit it on the head evidence-based we both love there is good and bad research and that's why I opened up with we don't care whether you choose to sleep train or not we don't care if you hire Taylor or not what we care is if the one reason you're encouraging people not to is based on this somewhat flawed study that's 
whatever reason you don't want to sleep train is fine. But spreading this one study about cortisol levels with a small sample size and a hospital setting, it's just, it's causing unnecessary fear and concern for moms who choose to sleep train. And that's what I don't like. And that adds to mom guilt. Throwing this study at moms makes them feel guilty about their choice, which we don't like. Because the one thing you hear in this study is crying. So crying is, is a huge fear for, for mom. It's, there's, there's no doubt about it. It's uncomfortable for mom. Uh, it has yes. to do with our biological nature. And a lot of people, when they read this study, are assuming, oh, okay, sleep training equals cry it out. Okay, I got it. It's, that's what it means. And exactly. not all sleep training is cry it out. Um, I actually, I had a post about it a couple weeks ago about the four methods of sleep training. Yes. Um, there's the extinction method, which is cry it out. Yes. There's controlled checks, which is a leave and check version. You know, you're going in and checking on your little one. Um, that one's typically considered Ferber. Then there's the stay in the room method where you're going in and you're offering comfort. You're not rescuing, but you're offering comfort. And then there's the no cry method. Um, and a lot of sleep consultants will work with parents for weeks or months on end to try to do this gently, as gently as they can with minimal crying. Um, and that's what I use with newborns. Um, but there, there is such a huge misconception based on this study that all sleep training is created equal and all of it includes crying it out. And that's crap because you it don't is. have to make your child cry. Will there be crying? Absolutely. Um, and what I like to tell parents on the consultation is put it in terms of your sleep environment. You know, you might sleep on the left side of the bed or the right side of the bed. You might sleep with the window open or your socks on or one leg out of the sheets. Mm -hmm. You might sleep with a particular pillow. And if I come in and I screw with all that and I take your pillow and I close your window and I turn on your lights, you're not going to cry, but you're not going to be happy. Right. And the point is that we like our sleep environment a typical way. So if I change it, you're going to protest. And that's what a child's doing. Yeah. You know, if you have a six month old who can't communicate to you that they're upset that you have now taken their pacifier or you are now no longer rocking them to sleep, mm -hmm. the only way they know how to tell you that is, is to cry. And more importantly, that crying that they're doing, it's so important to listen to. Um, you know, to, to, that is how they communicate. So listening to a child's cry is going to tell you, all right, is this a level five cry? Is there something wrong? Or is this a right. level two cry? And they're just working through it. Are there, is it roller coastering? I love that. Um, yeah. So I definitely, that's another thing I work with parents with, you know, when, when we start, I'm like, okay, they're crying. Yeah. Send me, send me an audio so I can hear it. Tell me what kind of level this is. Is this normal? Is this not normal? Um, because crying is going to be a part of it, but it, it does not have to be cried out. We do not have to put our child in a room and follow the extinction method. Not all training is created equal. Exactly. And it's, and I'll note to say the study I referenced at the beginning, the one that was done on a larger sample size that I have referenced is they did not use the extinction method. And that's, what's important to note about that study. They had people who just simply didn't sleep train. And then those who did with a gentler method, they completely left out the extinction method and found that everything turned out fine in the end. And that's important to know. This study didn't even include extinction method because most sleep trainers aren't teaching it. And so right. again, giving sleep consulting and sleep trainers this rep of they're just gonna make my baby cry all night is unfair. 
Oh, no offense. Why would you pay that much money for your sleep trainer to tell you to leave them in a room to cry? You could do that on your own. You don't need a sleep trainer for that. Right. You're so right. And the one thing, <laughs> it's so, no, it's so true. And you even told me when we first started working together and chatting, you said, listen, cry it out will probably work. If you put your baby in a room and let them cry, it will, it will work. Again, you don't really need to hire somebody to tell you to do that. But my God, it's tugging at mom's heartstrings. That's not natural, which is another thing I hear a lot. Sleep trainers ignore mom's natural instinct to nurture. No, they don't. That's not true. Well, it's just like anything else we've learned to evolve. So when we go back to our childhood, when we were babies, our parents used extinction because that's what they knew and that's what was readily available to them. But like everything else, we've learned more about sleep. We've learned more about babies and we're able to say, no, that's not the only way that there is. It works. It worked for us. But as it didn't feel comfortable for moms then, we know that. And we know it doesn't feel comfortable for them now. So where have we come from the 90s until now? Oh, we've learned that there are a handful of things that you can do as opposed to just plopping them in the crib and walking out. Exactly. I love that. And it honestly leads us really well into our next topic, which is going to encompass travel, busy moms, when babies are staying at grandma's a lot, how to make sure that the healthier sleep habits are still enforced. Is it possible? What about protest from grandma who says, well, you know, I, I held you all night and you were fine, or I let you cry it out and you were fine. Let's tackle the mom and or parents in general who aren't just always in the home, in the dark room, in a controlled environment. Yeah, sure. So I work with a lot of people who either grandparents watch baby or they go to a daycare or parents are frequent travelers. I've worked with, you know, families who, military families who pick up and leave and, and move quite frequently. So that is part of something a sleep consultant will help you do, you know, like we talked about as opposed to books. A sleep consultant's going to guide you through every scenario in your life. So part of my goodbye toolkit that I give to parents always says something about vacation and always has something about daycare, you know, all of those pieces that can kind of mess with sleep. Yeah. Um, As far as, you know, family members, nannies, daycare, grandparents, I teach parents how to communicate to them what we're doing, what, why sleep training is important. I, I also have uh, a lot of tools um, that they can give their family members, you know, this is why we're doing it. And this is what the nap time routine looks like. And this is what time they take their naps. And this is what you have to do. Um, because I figure if I have it all written out and they could just give it to a family member, it's a lot easier. That's fantastic. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Let me just take some of that off your plate. So, but here's, here's the thing. Daycares do what they want. They do what state mandated. A lot of them drop to one nap at 12 months and everybody naps in the same room and they don't even nap in cribs. So I know that it's realistic that that child is not going to sleep the same as they're sleeping at home. Mm-hmm. But what I do like to tell parents is I like to follow an 80-20 rule. Okay. 80% of the time we're respecting the baby, we're respecting the sleep. You know, baby goes into the crib, baby gets sleep at the time they need sleep. They get 11 or 12 hours at night, 20% of the time, it's okay if we're not doing what we have to do. Great. So if 20% of the time they're at daycare and they're getting crappy naps, that's fine. We can do an early bedtime or we can make up for it on the weekend. If they go to grandma's house and she decides, 
mm, I want to cuddle this baby. I don't want to put them in the crib. Sure. That's okay. That's perfectly okay. I teach parents how to fix that. I teach parents that, you know, that 80, 20 is super important. Let's be honest. You still have to live your life. So if you're going out for a party at six o'clock and baby's bedtime's at seven, does that mean you don't get to go? No, you can get a babysitter and you can teach them the bedtime routine or you can take them with them and just make up sleep tomorrow. Um, Because let's be realistic. That's the way that life is. You know, when you have kids, things don't slow down. They speed up. Um, And so, yeah, this definitely works. For, for traveling moms, for moms who use daycare or nannies or grandparents. And some of my favorite sleep products, uh, yeah. they definitely help with this situation. You know, there's a lot of moms. I work with a lot of moms who, when baby's napping, it's a perfect time for them to go get groceries, but baby's supposed to be in the crib. So what do I do? There's the snooze shade that I love that you could put over the car seat. It blacks it out. Typically when I do that with my child, I'll put the snooze, she- the snooze shade over the car seat and then I attach my phone to the car and I play white noise. So the entire car sounds like white noise. She's blacked out. She's getting a perfect nap in the car on the go. Love it. Um, so yeah, there's lots of options for those, those types of families. And again, that's why I hate cookie cutter because those books aren't going to teach you that. You know, right. those, those things you can Google, they're not going to teach you that you're spot on and something when someone asks me about sleep and I send them in Taylor's direction, I always say, just wait until you speak with her because you're so realistic that life happens and you're not telling them if you don't stick to this exact schedule all the time, it's not going to work. It's gentle. It's not demanding. It's human. You treat your clients in the, in their children, like the humans that they are. And that is one of the reasons I'm comfortable sending people in your direction because you, you treat us like people, not products that just have to do exactly what you say. Absolutely. It's great. I actually, I actually just recently got a um, client testimonial uh, that talked about how what they benefited from working with me was far greater than sleep because I have my own children. So I, I get parents all the time who are asking me personal questions and you know, how are, did you do baby led weaning? And, you know, when did your child start crawling? And just the other day, my husband and I were talking about it. We were talking about savings accounts for children. And he was like, people don't do that. And I'm like, yeah, they do. I have a lot of people who I know that, well, how do you know those people? Well, they're my clients. You know, we talk about that stuff. So yeah, you know, I, I get, I get a lot of questions, even just questions about my own child. Cause I am a mom too. You know, I've done it three times and the kids are very close in age. So people tend to trust, you know, yeah. if the sleep works, let me know what you did about this. <laughs> exactly. And that's why what you said at the beginning is also something that shouldn't be taken lightly and something I tell my clients a lot too. You have me now. I'm here for you. You could text me and tell me what happens. I love that you said that they could send you voice recordings of a cry. Who else can do that for you in your life? And it's, it's such a treat in so special to have somebody that you can lean on. And that is what you were doing for these families. And so I love that your that testimonial said that so much more than just a sleep consultant. It's a, it's a new mom in your circle, which is really special. Yeah. And you know, probably you do the same thing. You get very attached to your clients because yeah. you're spending so much time with them and you learn so much about them and to say goodbye to them. It's actually a little bit painful once yeah. you've worked with them for so long. Um, I get a lot of people who purchase my platinum package and I work with them for a year. And after that year, it's really hard to let go. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that 
is also comforting to know that you're such a close and strong presence in your family's lives that it's hard to say goodbye. That's another reassuring thing to hear. So that's beautiful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And then and kind of the opposite problem that I know sometimes you see is everyone's home is different. And sometimes baby's bassinet and then also crib and then maybe also a twin bed could be in parents' rooms. That happens sometimes. Can they still work with you? Can you still help these families who are room sharing? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the AAP actually suggests room sharing until about a one, one year old. So naturally, as a sleep consultant, especially through Sleep Sense, we follow all AAP regulations and guidelines. Um, you know, safety is is a huge thing for our clients, and it's it's something I want to make sure when I'm teaching you, your child is safe. So. Yes, if a parent wants to room share until one year old just because they want to, or if a parent has to room share because they don't have any other bedrooms and they live in a one bedroom apartment, yes, we can absolutely work through these things together. A lot of the time when I'm working with infants now, they are room sharing and I'll come right out and ask mom, is this what you want to be doing? Or is this what you're doing just because you're waking up every hour? Right. Um, Great question. I'd say 50% of the time mom wants to, 50% of the time mom is like, no, we have a nursery we'd love to use, but I'm not getting up a hundred times in the night to go get her. Right. So um, we kind of, we start there. And um, if they say they want to continue room sharing, there's a couple of products that I suggest. I, I love the slumber pod. It yep. is an amazing product. Uh, it's a little bit pricey, but it's worth the cost because if you're going to buy it when your child is an infant you can use it all the way until they're a toddler uh, they have a window for a fan to keep it cool they have a window for a camera so you can see them in there and what I love about it is when you're room sharing you can have that right beside your bed if you want and they can't see you so you're not interrupting them and you're not you know when you get in and out of bed to pee in the middle of the night you're not going to wake them up and startle them so that product is a must a I love white pot. noise machines okay yep I love white noise machines um my favorite is the hatch. Again, another thing that if you invest in it in the beginning, you're going to use it long-term because when your child turns into a toddler, moves to a bed, you can actually use the lighting features on it to keep your child in bed until morning. Um, so again, while the cost might be large up front, it's worth it for years and years to come and they do last, you know, it's a good product. So those two things are really great for room sharing. If I'm working with a mom who isn't so sure she's ready to purchase the slumber pod, I'll take a look at the room and say, okay, then I want you to move the pack and play as far away from the bed as you can. Or do you have a closet you can shove the pack and play in? Or can we put baby in the bathroom or laundry room or whatever? You know, we'll we'll try to get the baby as far away from mom as we can so that again, they're not waking baby up. But yeah, there's tons of options for parents who have small houses or parents who want a room share. And you can definitely sleep train while doing that. That's so important for for people to hear. And I think just another thing that we're trying to tackle and saying sleep consulting and sleep training can be for anybody. And some of these things that you might think are limiting factors might not be. So that's that's what Taylor's sharing with us today. Now breastfeeding is another one I get. Go ahead, um, please. People people fear that if they breastfeed, they won't be able to teach their child independent sleep. Uh, and that's just simply not true either. That would be another common misconception, I think. Um, Great. Great. But I've, I've, I've worked with a ton of newborns just even in the last couple of months, all of them breastfeeding. And a lot of those babies are now sleeping nine, 10, 11 hours consolidated. So 
mom's tank, mom's supply didn't tank, you know, we were able to keep that going. And so, yeah, I think a lot of people think that breast milk isn't as calorie sufficient as formula, isn't as dense as formula. So they think, oh, my baby's just never going to sleep because they need to eat every two hours. And that's just simply not true. Sure. That is another huge thing that probably keeps people from maybe contacting you. I'm breastfeeding. So what do I do? And so that was, I'm really glad that you, you brought that up. That was great. Now, our next topic is another one that I think Taylor and I could probably have a full episode on. And if that's something (laughs) that the people want, we could certainly do it. Also another controversial topic. We know that again, we are not telling you what you have to do, but if you have questions, Taylor shares with us the information that is recommended by the AAP. That is the most evidence-based information we have. Taylor and I both like to follow the evidence. So if you're coming to us with questions, we will simply relay to you what the literature says. This is not our opinions. We are not pushing our opinions on you unless you ask for our opinion, but we're assuming you're not. So Taylor, we are going to talk about safe sleep. And again, guys, she's telling you what the AAP is telling you, and she's helping you make that transition into safe sleep easier. Safe sleep, just go for it. Newborn in the bassinet, what do we want that picture to look like? And then take us wherever you'd like to from there. Yeah. So in, in the nineties, um, we started with the back to sleep campaign. Uh, and basically what that, what that said was we need to follow the ABCs of sleep alone on their back in the crib. So obviously the AAP frowns upon, you know, co-sleeping in the same bed. They, they frown upon putting baby on their belly to sleep. Um, they frown upon adding blankets to the crib. Now I've worked with a lot of adults on their sleep and, you know, oftentimes we'll share things about babies. A lot of them might be grandparents and I'll say, oh no, you, you really shouldn't have a blanket in the crib. And I often get the, really? We always had blankets in the crib. Exactly. Um, Because that's just the way it was before this campaign. But uh, now based on evidence, based on what we have found out about SIDS, um, it is safest to have our child always sleep alone, you know, not sleeping in the same bed, you know, keeping them next to the bed, but in a crib free of smoke, try to prevent overheating. It's important for them to be on their back. Again, the purpose of this is if they're on their tummy and they're not developed enough that their neck can move around, there's a lot of that rebreathing going on, that carbon dioxide dioxide rebreathing, um, which which is a huge thing for SIDS. And then, you know, sleeping on their in their crib, the biggest thing I see is that parent and and I see it on Facebook and I see it I see it with parents I'm working with and you just see it everywhere. You do. Um, people people use bumpers. Yes. Blankets, people use pillows. Uh, I've had clients who have their babies on boppies inside of cribs. Mm-hmm. Um, because let's be honest, when a baby is born, they're born in that fetal position. They want to be curled up and tight and cuddled and they're used to the womb. But we know that baby's safe in the womb. Baby's not safe with all of these other things around them outside exactly. of the womb. Um, so the most important thing we can do is, is take everything from the crib. And I know I get, I, I honestly do get quite a bit of resistance from clients who have bumpers or I'm sure you know, different things like that. And they're like, my baby is not going to sleep without this boppy, or my baby is not going to sleep when their leg gets stuck in the crib. Yeah, I get it. But I, I need your baby to be sleep safe. Um, so that's, 
when you work with me, I'm, I'm going to request that your baby is safe, at least through the duration of us working together. If, if you should decide later on, you want to put the bumpers back on, that's fine. Like you said, it's totally up to you. Every parent yes. parents differently. There are a lot of parents who co-sleep. We just can't do that when we're working together. I mean, you become liable then. Oh, I have a sleep consultant and she tells me bumpers are fine. If the AAP is not saying bumpers are fine, Taylor cannot be telling you they're fine. And that's another thing. I'm just going to slide in really quickly. We both have licenses and certifications to protect. When we let you into our lives and you let us into yours, we take on a certain responsibility for your well-being to an extent. And then we become liable if things go wrong. And so we thank Taylor for following the AAP guidelines, even if they're not what you love. But if you hired her, she has to follow them. It's She has to. She would be liable. Absolutely. And, and more importantly, I think the thing people, I think the thing parents think of is you're asking me to take away this boppy that my child's laying on, but it's the only thing that gets them to sleep. They're not going to sleep in the crib by themselves. Yes, they will. Um, I think a lot of people think that if they eliminate these things, their child won't sleep, but I'm telling them their child will sleep. Like I've worked with hundreds of babies and I take all those things out and those babies sleep. They're going to sleep. They just have to learn to sleep without those items. Right. You know, I think parents, I think parents just think, well, safety versus not getting enough sleep. uh, We're going to go with getting more sleep. Yep. That's, it's so important you guys. And again, you make your own choices, but when it comes to evidence and safety, that's what we are going to encourage you to follow because safety is important. Let's quickly to talk about safety in terms of napping, because that's, I think that's a tricky topic. There's a lot of products that people are using as nap products that maybe are not safe, but they're, again, it's one of those so-and-so used it and loved it. So-and-so used it and loved it. Their baby didn't die basically. And so what, where do you want baby to be napping for safety? Sure. So um, in my line of work, I see a lot of car seat naps. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of um, DACA taught naps. Yeah. I see a lot of, you know, when the rock and play before it was recalled, I saw a lot of that for naps, sure. swing naps, y- you name it. Because in the daytime, mom's just trying to get dishes cleaned and take a shower and probably eat. Absolutely. Um, because so anything, <laughs> absolutely. So anything she can kind of shove the baby in that she knows they'll at least take a decent nap, she's going to do it. Right. Um, and all of those things are deemed unsafe to sleep in. Okay. Even if you have your eyes on the baby and they're sleeping in a car seat, it is, it is unsafe. Okay. Um, if they're sleeping in a swing and you're watching, it's still unsafe. Um, because what happens when a child falls asleep in those containers is that their muscles relax and their chin drops down. Exactly. Now they're at, they're at a greater than a 30 degree angle, which is why the rock and play was, was removed, was recalled because it was greater than 10%. Anything greater than 10%, you know, when you get into swings that are 20 and 30%, if they fall asleep and their muscles relax and their head drops, you're now at risk for SIDS. I think another common misconception with naps is that people think that their child, if it's daytime, that they should sleep in the living room where it's bright. Let's make sure we know that it's daytime so that you'll sleep tonight. And that's, that's a common misconception as well. Darkness equals melatonin production, which equals sleep. So if our child is going to nap, we're going to take them back into our bedroom or back into their nursery, put them in the crib, turn out all the lights, close the blackout blinds, 
and leave them sure. and let them let them do their thing. So I find I find a lot of the time when I start working with parents, we've got a lot of napping situations that are a little uncomfortable. And my go-to is always first nap, we're starting in the crib, we'll follow our method and and from now on they'll nap in the crib. Perfect. And then what if we're out or at a friend's house or or whatever happens? Can we do like a pack and play nap with if we if we darken it really well? Is that an option? Yeah, pack and play naps are good. Um I actually my client just two weeks ago, she has a newborn, she went to a friend's house and borrowed their bassinet. She just plopped pop baby in the bassinet and went out and had a couple drinks with her friends. So perfect. Guys, so reasonable. She's so reasonable. That's what I'm telling you. We're not, we can't be afraid of sleep consultants. Okay. So moving on, we just have a couple more questions. This is a loaded question and you and I have spoken so much. I kind of know how you feel about a lot of these things, but, and there's no one size fits all. We've spoken about this too. When is the best time or is there a best time to hire on a sleep consultant? So the one thing I can say is it's it's never too early, but it's never too late. Right. Um, I work I work with every age. I work with newborns. I work with toddlers. I work with preschoolers. Mm-hmm. And I even work with adults. So yeah, it's, I, it's me. It's really, <laughs> it's really never, never too late to start. But if you're pregnant, if you're expecting, if you think, you know, we already had a baby, they didn't sleep. I'd really love for this one to sleep because they go back to work at eight weeks or 12 weeks or whatever. Right. You know, if you're preparing for a baby, I think the most important thing for you to understand is I am not going to sleep train your baby when they're born. We're going to sleep teach your baby. So I don't want you to get the impression that we're going to remove all these things and baby's just going to cry for a lot, a long time. And it's just going to be miserable. And I can't do that to my baby because I want a strong attachment and breastfeeding and all that. Right. I, I think it's really important that people understand that you're not overreacting if you want help from the very beginning. Right. Um, I've only had a handful of people that purchase before they have baby, but I've had a lot of people find me in the first couple of weeks. And usually the first thing out of their mouth is, I know it's really early, but I go back to work in a couple of weeks and I need to make sure I have sleep. You know, is this absurd to ask for your help now? No, it, no, it's not. Um, the sooner you start, actually, the easier it is because we don't have to remove props at any point. We don't have to have prolonged crying. If we start from the very beginning, I just won't let you introduce those props and and I'll just teach you what wake windows should look like. And I'm going to teach you what happens when baby starts to cry. And the best thing about that is we could be super gentle. There are some things I allow you to do that I won't allow you to do for an infant because it's too stimulating. So newborn is awesome because we can take our time. I work with them for up to 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. You know, we just, we just really, and usually by the end of it, baby is sleeping through the night, which is awesome because whoever heard of a 10, 11, 12 week old, sleeping 11 or 12 hours at night. Right. Um, But usually that's where we end. Right. So, but my favorite age to work with is, is four to six months. You know, if we're doing full on sleep training at that time, mom comes to me and she says, and went back to work. It's awful. We're not getting any sleep. You know, baby wakes up every hour. We're going through the aggression. It's awful. Typically at that point is when I could say, okay, let's pull night feeds. Let's, let's do a couple of things that, that, that I know will help. But that brings me to another point, the night feeds. Yes. Huge. A third. Yes. Third common misconception is that yes. when you sleep train, you have to pull night feeds. Right. Uh, and that's also crap. Thank you. That is actually, I should have brought it up, Taylor. I get that question all the time. Your sleep consultant is going to tell you not to feed your baby at night. I mean, 
<laughs> what kind of monster <laughs> do they think you are? Right. Yeah. Please talk no. to us about that. Yeah. So when I work with newborns, obviously there's feeding all night long and I'm never going to stop you from feeding your child, but it's not just about feeds. I mean, there's a feed to sleep association. There's, there's a big thing there. So there's a lot of things we introduce, like, you know, eat, play, sleep cycle, wake windows. We tank up during the day. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to hold to personal best at nighttime. But here's the thing. When I'm working with a newborn, a newborn should be able to go as many hours as they are weeks old without a feed. But I don't make them do that. They just naturally start doing that based off of all of the things we've learned. You know, if I'm working with a six-week-old, she'll probably take one feed at night. She'll sleep six hours, take a feed and sleep another six. Mm -hmm. And by the time she gets to 10 weeks, she'll probably be sleeping more like 10 hours, give or take. Sometimes it's a little less, sometimes it's a little more. 10 weeks, my little one slept 13 hours through the night. So it just depends. But I'm never gonna stop you from feeding your child if your child needs it. Now, here's what I do in, in the case of not a newborn. You know, let's say it's a five month old. I get a lot of four, five and six month olds that come to me. And first thing I do is gauge mom's feeling on the feed. Right. Do you want to keep it? Do you want to get rid of it? And if mom says, I'm not sure. Okay, cool. No problem. How, how much does the baby weigh? Oh, my baby weighs about 16 pounds. Okay. Baby's 16 pounds. Usually at about that point, we can drop the feed, but here's what I want you to do. Go ask your pediatrician. I want to know if the pediatrician says it's okay to drop the feed. Most of the time, the pediatrician says, baby's gaining weight, fine. If you want to drop the night feed, that's perfectly fine with me. Now I go back to mom and I say, pediatrician gave you the okay. Are you still comfortable with it? Yes. Now mom says yes or no. If mom wants to keep the night feed, here's where we go. What's his personal best? Yeah. And he, what's the longest he's ever gone without eating? He's gone about eight hours cool. That's where we'll start. So if he wakes up at the eight hour mark, I'll allow you to give a feed. Yeah. And, and we just kind of work at that way. Absolutely. There's no reason why a child shouldn't be fed in the night if they absolutely need it. But if pediatrician gives the okay and mom's okay with it and let's pull them. I love Um, that. And also you're hearing Taylor saying, ask your pediatrician. She is not claiming to be a child nutritionist. She's not claiming to be able to give nutrition advice or tell you when you can and can't feed your baby she's saying let's work as a team which is so freaking important for people to realize you're not saying oh your baby doesn't need to eat don't worry she's not that unreasonable I love that yeah yeah I love you and honestly you know most of the time I get a lot of pediatricians who are like well I don't think that baby can go the whole night but you can try sure I do the, the baby makes it through the night. Yes. Um, so a lot of parents, you know, again, it's just like crying. A lot of parents feel like my baby needs that feed. I was there once um, mm-hmm. before I became a sleep consultant. I sleep trained my, my middle son and um, he was 24 pounds at four months. He was chunky, he was huge. Yeah. And he was waking every two hours for a bottle, but never finishing it. Sure. And when I started sleep training with a consultant, um, my immediate fear was, but oh my God, what if he's actually hungry? Like, what if he actually needs it? I'm a terrible mother. Right. Because feeding and crying go hand in hand, right? If baby yeah. cries, they obviously need fed. Right. Um, and the truth was that in two nights, he slept through the night. He didn't need that feed. Yeah. He didn't need it. But you have to trust the expert when they tell you, yes, they need it. 
no, they don't. Yes. Trust me, it's going to work. It's just like all of the other sleep props, thinking that a baby needs to sleep in a car seat or a boppy. No, they, they don't have to. You're just a little bit afraid of what might happen if they don't have that crutch. Yes, that is so well said. Even I don't know how after this time, I'm still always learning new things from you. It's so wonderful. <laughs> so great. Now, the last question I always ask my guests is a hard question. I know you'll have a great answer for us. What is the one thing you wish all new moms knew concerning sleep? It is a hard question. I think, the, I think the thing I'd want moms to know specifically about sleep, sleep training, sleep consultants. Um, if you find a sleep consultant, more than likely the reason they became a sleep consultant is because they struggled with sleep themselves. So sleep consultants are typically, you know, people who have been there themselves. They've struggled with sleep um, and they found a solution to the sleep. And what they want to do with that is they want to they want to share it. They just want to share it with other people so that other people know they don't have to walk around being walking mom zombies because babies can sleep. So the thing I'd really want you to walk away from this is sleep consultants aren't evil. They're not there to rule over parents and tell them the best thing for their child. They're there to help you. They they really genuinely want to help because most of them have been there themselves. Um, I know that's why I, I mean, I I don't do this for my primary income. This is just something I do on the side because I love it. I love helping mothers. I love letting moms know that there is a such thing as sleeping with a newborn. Um, I've worked with, you know, parents whose dad's sleeping on the floor of their three-year-old's bedroom because the three-year-old won't sleep by themselves. What's, what's that like for their marriage? You know, I struggled through my own marital problems when our children weren't sleeping well. So I, I truly care about the mother, about the individual, about the family and what that's doing to their dynamic. But what I can say is whether you decide to hire a sleep consultant, whether you decide to train a sleep train, do what works for you. You don't have to sleep train if, if that's not what you want to do. But what I can say is regardless of if you hire a sleep sleep consultant or if you sleep train on your own, it does eventually get better. You know, as your children get older, as they they go through all the milestones, it eventually gets better. So I guess that's all I'd I'd really want anyone to walk away with. That was so good. It gave me chills. Thank you, Taylor, so much. Just humanizing sleep training and sleep consulting and reminding, I hope somebody who listens who is maybe against it or on the fence. Hopefully what they learned today is you are a human, you are a mother, you have been in their shoes. And again, we don't care what you choose for what works for your family, but we care that you understand what Taylor does and that she loves you. She loves your baby. She wants you all to be happy and healthy if that's what you want. So amen. Thank you so, so much. Taylor, where can we find you? Because guys follow her on Instagram. Where can we find you? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram, Taylor Walters Sleep. Um, I also have a website, taylorwalterssleep.com. And if you should decide, "Mm, this was interesting. I want to learn a little bit more. You can book a discovery call. Uh, So when you get to my homepage, you'll see a link for booking a discovery call. You get to pick any time slot and you get me for 15 minutes. And we just I literally just talk about, you know, what specifically are you looking for your, for your child? What is going on with your child? What are your primary sleep goals? And then I walk you through, what would it look for you, look like for you? Uh, mm-hmm. What does the pricing look like? When could we start? And all of those great questions. 
That is phenomenal. And I just want to say too, I've seen some other sleep packages and I've seen kind of what people are charging and what things are running. Taylor is on your team. She's reasonable. I would certainly feel comfortable, especially to get a good night's sleep, paying what she's asking. So first of all, always start with a free discovery call. I always say when you're going to work with somebody for any part of your life, if they don't offer that free discovery call, that kind of makes me sad. It's kind of a red flag for me. I think it's really important that we're telling people upfront who we are and what we do. So guys, there is no shame, no commitment in just scheduling a call with her to hear more about what she does and how she can help your specific family. I'm a huge believer in just booking the discovery call at least in learning. So absolutely. And the one thing I always like to tell mom when she books the call, I am not going to pressure you into a sale. You are sleepy. You have a lot to think about. You have to take this to your partner or your spouse and talk it over. It's an investment. So Mm -hmm. no, I'm not going to be gathering your credit card information over the phone. I'm not going to be pressuring you to make a decision now. Typically, I give you a couple days and I might reach out and say, okay, hey, do you have more questions? Is dad confused? Do we need to get on another call? What do do you want to do? And 50% of the time, mom's like, no, I think we're good. We're just trying to decide. And half the time, mom's like... Oh, no, I think we're going to wait a little bit longer. So no pressure. There's no pressure here. It's a big decision. It's a huge investment, um, but there's no pressure on the call. I love that. Um, Taylor, thank you so much for making time for me today. Guys, we are doing this in Taylor's littlest child nap window right now. She carved out a little bit of space for me today, and I'm so grateful. Taylor, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Emily, for having me on. Absolutely. Guys, we will see you next time and happy. Well, it might not be Saturday when this comes out, but for us, it's Saturday. So Taylor, happy Saturday. (laughs) Happy Saturday.